loves, and welcome to Radical Softness, where we introduce ways of gently embracing all aspects of ourselves with kindness, grace, and understanding. So that we can do the work necessary to expand upon our own personal growth. I am Ruinous Rapture. I am Venera. And we invite you to sit back, get cozy, and enjoy this deep dive today. Hello. How's it going? Hello. It's going. How are you? You know, I'm I'm doing okay. I'm I'm doing all right. Uh I have this entire week off because as you know, I'm starting a new job next week. So, um I've just kind of taken a break in between gigs so I don't feel burned out at my new one. Um so I've just kind of been chilling, getting stuff done like errands and whatnot. yeah that relaxation yep 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 so and yeah that's funny because that ties into our topic today which is about success what does that look like what does it mean and how that's different for different people and then a little bit about money oh boy money my favorite money yeah we'll talk we'll talk more about that about those those negative feelings versus the positive feelings that you know, money evokes feelings, <laughs> all of the feelings. All right. So, yeah. Um, so I'm going to ask you, what does success mean to you? You know, it's interesting. Um, when I, I <laughs> so, okay. So I, I'm going to kind of backtrack a little, um, I don't remember. It was probably 2011, 2012. I had a real existential reckoning with the concept of success. Um, As we've talked about in the past, you know, I used to work in the visual effects industry and uh, I I also went to a a for-profit college and at the time that this reckoning occurred, um, I was unemployed uh, and that that industry, the visual effects industry is very feast or famine. You're either working a million hours a week um, nonstop for months at a time or you're unemployed for months at a time and I was kind of in between one of those stints and where I was unemployed and I had debt collectors calling me every single day uh, because student loan debt that I couldn't pay and it really started to get to me because you know we grow or you know I know for me uh, I grew up in this world of meritocracy where if you work hard it'll pay off and this was not my reality. And I felt like a complete and total failure. And it was at that time that I realized that my relationship with the concept of success really needed um, some major adjustment. So because of that experience, my idea of success is tied very much to the feelings of fulfillment, like um, emotional fulfillment, spiritual fulfillment, things that 
fill your glass. You know, you, they talk about that with self-care, you know, what fills your cup, you know, uh, whether that be <laughs> reading a book and relaxing or uh, making time to exercise or meditate. It's those things. So for me, success looks like me feeling well-rested, me feeling well-fed, uh, like I get opportunities to move my body, to rest, and to be productive. And I don't mean productive in the, the uh, like, capitalism sense of like, oh, I'm doing something that produces income. Um, sorry, that was my phone. I thought that was muted. Uh, let me just mute this real quick. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, not productivity in that doesn't make money, but productivity in the sense of, did I learn something new today? Did I experience something new? Did I expand my horizons in some way today? Mm -hmm. And that's my definition of productivity. And so all of those things together, when that is all in balance, that is success to me. And I feel like a lot of people can agree to that. That's what we want success to feel like. That's what we dream of it being like, but that's not the reality, unfortunately. Um, you know, with society being productive all the time, that's seen as successful. Yeah. Driving yourself into the ground until you have nothing else to give except your blood, sweat, and tears, and your body is just falling off your bones. Yep. <laughs> you know, that's what successful, like, looks like. And when you look at people who are finally in retirement, which, by the way, uh, age of retirement used to be in the 40s, it is now up into the like upper 80s because mm -hmm. people cannot afford to retire. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then when you're in your 80s, how are you going to enjoy your retirement? <laughs> like right. all the things you wanted to do, all the things you wanted to do with your family or with your loved one, like you can't because your body just can't do it anymore. Yeah. And also I've seen many instances where retirement doesn't come when it's that late in life. It doesn't come with the choice of, well, I'm going to retire uh, because it's time. You have it's, to. You have to because your health has declined to such a point that you can't work yes. anymore. And that's a damn shame. I it is. I I freaking hate that conditions are set up in such a way that that's what people have to do to survive. Exactly. And I'm so glad that you brought up some Marx terms because that's exactly where I'm going to go with this. Um so for those of you who are not familiar with Karl Marx, you really should. Um, it's a great, lovely read. Most people who write psychology or sociology are very boring and flat, and it's a big snore, but Karl Marx just weaves this amazing poetry into everything he describes. And one of the things he talks about is the dream of living in a society where all of our basic needs are met. So referring back to the first episode when we mentioned Maslow's hierarchy, 
of needs. That's also a great thing. You should go check that out. Um, when our basic needs are met, we can expand upon who we really are and do things because they bring us joy. And that the whole point of life is to create things. And creating things brings us joy. Mm -hmm. Because if we aren't creating things, then what are we doing? Yeah. And that... Um... It's funny because I I actually was unaware. Like I'm I'm vaguely familiar with Marx, but not yes, not the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. That's yeah. what everybody knows. Um, <laughs> you know the the cranking of the machine. The human body is a machine, mm -hmm. um, and that's exactly how he describes it. It's very poetic and descriptive. Um, you know, and he even. Uh, says you know capitalism is like this great scheme like he even has admiration for you know merchants and whoever else is in the upper tier of the marketing world making the monies because it's a great system to keep you in a feedback loop for the rest of your life mm -hmm. um and if you dig even deeper there's a lot of history around why capitalism came to be um, you know, the no idle hands mentality that you need to give up all your energy so that you don't get into trouble, which was a very, um, Christian view yeah, back just, in the day. I yes. was just going to say that. Like, what is it? Yes. Idle hands mm -hmm. do the devil's work or something like that. Yeah. But it was also, phrase. yeah, it was also a way to keep people out of the whorehouses. It was a way to keep people keep people from drinking or stealing or, you know, whatever, getting up to no good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it goes back fairly far and it's still relevant now with everything, um, which is why, again, I recommend checking it out. Well, and I think we're actually, you know, it's funny, um, I brought up that I had this existential reckoning with what success means to me, but mm -hmm. it seems that now um, we're all kind of there. Like, I'm there again just because, you know, time has put us in this place. And that's kind of what's going on in the zeitgeist right now is that mm -hmm. everyone's kind of having having this reckoning right now. Um, and I think, you know, that's where we're seeing a lot of uh, glamorization of, uh, I, I don't want to get into the whole crypto thing, <laughs> but, you know, what I can say about that, because my knowledge of that is very limited, but my understanding of it, it seems to me there is a real desire for change so much mm -hmm. so that people are willing to put ridiculous amounts of money into <laughs> uh, questionable uh investments uh and you know we even saw what happened with uh gamestop and amc stock like how a group of people <laughs> the people being the people were able to really turn hedge funds on their heads for a brief moment uh simply by gaming the system 
the way that they do. So like we're we're currently in that position right now where everyone is looking at this going, wait, <laughs> uh, what is success? And what the hell is our system that perpetuates where we're in the middle of a pandemic and employers are encouraging people to show up to work sick because, well, the machine will break down if people take time to, you know, care for their well-being and safety. So you bring up a lot of things. Oh, there goes my phone. <laughs> uh, you bring up a lot of things in that. So one thing I want to touch on briefly is you brought up the fact that people are aware. Um, people are angry. They want change. They want a difference. Uh, the system does not work. That has been known for a long time but they hide it from you mm -hmm. they hide it in ways of projection mm -hmm. uh pointing to a straw man uh saying hey blame this thing this yep. is actually the problem and the enemy not me mm -hmm. not the actual system Oh yeah, it's the immigrants yeah. taking your jobs. It's the, oh, yeah. Yeah. it's the mother with four kids on welfare. It's yeah, it's everybody else's fault except the system itself. Yep. <laughs> and there's always going to pe be people who cheat the system too. Mm -hmm. Like that's another one. Like, oh, well if we do this for everyone, there's going to be people who cheat the system. And it's like, well what do you think all the millionaires are doing right now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they didn't get where they are by not cheating the system mm -hmm. it's a rigged game um you know it just depends on what side of the game you're on and what pieces you have to play um and then the other part that you brought up like having to change what success looks like to you and the world is changing and what success looks like to everyone else is also changing so you know with social media that brought in a huge uh change in what people feel like in themselves uh like productivity wise and being successful or living their best life whatever um which leads to huge comparisonitis mm -hmm. which is a big thing <laughs> yeah um comparisonitis will stop you from doing the things that you want to do doing the things you want to achieve or on the other swing of things it will motivate you further mm -hmm. depending on where you mentally and emotionally are it could go either way yeah i know for me i have a major propensity to head down the perfectionist route and I know people will use perfectionism as like oh I just need things to be perfect no perfectionism is where you nothing is ever good enough so then you reach a point where you either never finish it or you never start because yeah. and and it's a problem and it's paralyzing so comparisonitis for me looks like uh paralysis <laughs> truthfully i get overwhelmed i can't think straight i can't problem solve and i can't be creative when i'm in that space <clears throat> and i think you're right um or i don't think i know you're right that i it, that social media really did put that shine a really big spotlight on that because everybody was it was almost like what do they call that like keeping up with the joneses where it, 
everyone was living their v best life based on what they were presenting publicly and i think now we've reached a point where there's that burnout for that right <laughs> either either yes. you're still stuck in that hamster wheel comparing yourself and feeling badly about yourself or motivated to do more or you've reached the breaking point which is this is bullshit and i'm tired of it <laughs> And I think, you know, there's a little bit of column A and there's a lot bit of column B. Yeah. And with comparisonitis as well, like you, you want to show off the best parts of yourself mm -hmm. uh, too, because you want to draw in a crowd, right? That's what social media is. You want the spotlight on you and you can't really do that if you're showing off the hard parts of life the the unattractive unsexy stuff right i think that ties in very well with our radical softness concept yes because if that's what you feel you have to do or at least we've reached that point where this is happening so often that now showing off those unsexy sides or admitting that something didn't go the way you wanted it to it is there's a there's this level of shame and pressure that is so much higher stakes than what it would have been if we hadn't been in that cycle of oh everything's great everything's great and living living my best life i found my bliss you know yeah and i remember being a kid growing up with the internets and everything you know like yahoo chat and aim and whatever else mm -hmm. um it was almost the opposite everybody oh, yeah. had a competition where it was like my life was the worst and i'm <laughs> suffering the worst and now it, it's dramatically the <laughs> other side where i have the greatest life my life is so much better than yours that is so funny that you say that. And it's probably part of what's influenced me in feeling like we should be able to be more honest about our successes and failures in in the public eye and normalize that. Because I too grew up in that era of live journal and dead journal and all of that, where your social media feed was literal journal entries of people describing, I mean, keep in mind, you know, these are teenagers. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're all, we were all so, um, mortally unique, you know, or no, not, uh, Fatally unique is what I meant to say. Like, <laughs> I think both words. Or <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, my pain is just so my own, and nobody understands me. And you know, and yeah. I, to an extent, I think that's true. Like, it was. <laughs> it was totally true because, uh, you know, who are you allowed to share that stuff with? Mm -hmm. You know, like there was this. And this goes back to radical softness, the need to connect with other people, mm -hmm. to be social, um, to share those emotions and expression of them. But then, you know, I don't know about you, but I know when I was growing up, it was very much make yourself small, make your feelings small because they do not matter. Mm -hmm. um, you do not matter. Your experiences do not matter. It will pass with time. You're just being over dramatic. Yeah. I mean, 
that it's funny um that is definitely my experience but also i've always had a very hard time making myself small so it would get me in a lot of trouble where like <laughs> i cannot tell you how many times i've as a child got into it with an adult because i was like no that's bullshit um, you're such an aries and i love you <laughs> oh my god you have no idea oh i do have an idea <laughs> But anyway, yeah, no, definitely very Aries. <laughs> definitely. Death. Oh, goodness. And yeah, so when we look at comparisonitis, um, I like to call it, and I've heard it called this too, that bitch over there. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that, but I love it already. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that bitch over there, comparisonitis, yeah. Um, so this also goes back to some more intricate psychological and sociological components where when we compare ourselves to others, whether it's someone we look up to or look down upon, uh, we do some steps to make ourselves feel less stressed. And they're, they're really shitty. They're so bad humans are so bad. Um, so when we do a downward comparison, I believe I may be switching these two, but essentially when we do a downward comparison, we look at the person and say, yeah, that, that person's really shitty. They fucked up. I would never do something like that. <laughs> and it makes you feel better. It gives you a boost. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you do an upward comparison, you look at the person and it's like, they're amazing. I could never do something like that. Yeah. Or you could say that person's amazing and I want to be just like them. So there's two kind of shifts for the upwards comparison, whereas the downwards comparison, it's mostly you're just trying to find a way to relieve the tension within your body and your emotions because you do experience pain when you have that tension in your body. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of research around being ostracized and feeling actual physical pain in your body because of the signals from your your brain mm -hmm. being cut off from social aspects. Um, and we do that to ourselves all the time. Mm -hmm. I could never be that person. I could never be as cool as them. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to take up space and be me. God, I suck. You know, those really bad internal voices, you are creating physical pain within your body and your body has to find a way to release that tension. Yeah. I, I fully oh, yeah. believe that because I know my experience growing up, uh, <clears throat> you know, and I, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, but, uh, you know, I experienced extreme bullying as a child. Like, I was severely bullied. So it, it was real bad. And I can tell you that, um, and this, this also kind of ties into ACEs a little bit, too. I mean, ACEs are slightly different, but... Um, but basically, I, you know, was chronically ill as a child. 
<laughs> due to that feeling of being ostracized or yep. I'm not good enough or so-and-so is so much better than me. Um, yeah, it's that it's very real. That and yes, that's very real. And when you experience that type of stress, it's meant to be temporary. Mm -hmm. You're not meant to hold that. You're not meant to be a retainer for that. And when you do become habitualized to it, which, you know, at such a young age, your body can do something like that. But over time, um, the cortisol levels, which is the stress, um, the angry, the aggression, mm -hmm. uh, it will create issues within the body. You can get heart disease from it. Mm -hmm. um, your brain pathways are forever changed. Your dopamine levels, your ability to even reuptake certain hormones mm -hmm. the, for the pleasure centers, for being happy, for whatever. Um, and, you know, also the ability to retrain your brain to even say i have a fond memory or mm -hmm. i have a favorite memory or i can remember a time where i was happy because your brain is so trained to look at the bad and the negative mm -hmm. that's what you become is the bad and the negative and that really terrible internal voice that just keeps repeating those things to you that you will never amount to anything. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's not your totality. That is not who you are as a whole. But it's really hard to move past that if that's all you see. That's mm -hmm. all you know. Mm -hmm. There's a book. I only got through maybe about, I want to say, a half of it. Um, but it was a very good book, and the only reason I didn't finish it was because I got distracted. <laughs> but uh, the book is The Body Keeps the Score. Is it The Body Keeps the Score or The Body Knows the Score? The Body Keeps... Yeah, The Body Keeps the Score. And it talks about that, where, you know, you're... I mean, this, this more has to do with ACEs. And if you're unfamiliar with what ACEs are, um, adverse childhood experiences, uh, it was a study. I mean, and the, and the survey for those childhood adverse childhood experiences is very limited. And that's the point of the study. It doesn't take in mind all traumas that could occur. But the point was, uh, within these questions that we're asking, if you've experienced any of these, you're more likely to experience negative out health outcomes as an adult, uh, such as chronic illness and whatever. And what you're talking about, uh, your your um, likelihood for uh, developing things such as heart disease or uh, even cancer uh, is greatly increased because of that constant um chronic stress uh yes it's 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 real <laughs> it definitely is yeah uh, there are tons of studies out there um we will definitely try to link some in the discord for people to peruse but mm -hmm. yes it, it is a well-known study um yeah so i want to go to the flip side 
um, we kind of got a little bit dark there. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we were being radically soft. We were being we were. extremely vulnerable and talking about, you know, the stuff that isn't always the most pretty. <laughs> so I want to talk about abundance and what that looks like. Mm. Abundance and wealth. What is that? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so... Do you want to answer or do you want me to answer? Um, you know, I, I have my own thoughts and feelings on it, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. So abundance and wealth to me is not just money. Um, in fact, when I used to think about it, it was wealth and money. But thank goodness to my mentor, <laughs> she's mind shifted that to me. And I'm going to help people do that today, hopefully. So when we talk about resources, um, again, your mind may first go to physical resources, mm -hmm. food, clothes, shelter, and money. Money's always the big driver, right? Mm -hmm. It is the driver to our bus. Um, but it can also be things like affection from your partner, from your pet, from your child. It could be, I don't know, um, being in a well-lit room when you're trying to read a book hmm. or do something artsy-fartsy. What things do you have in abundance that brings you joy or makes your life more successful or at ease and in flow with whatever intentions you have to do with your life? which makes it really nice and soft and warm feeling right yeah yeah um so that actually makes me think of a couple of things so when you asked if i wanted to answer the question uh what i was going to do was go down the rabbit hole of saying you know that is actually a thing i struggle with i struggle with the concept of gratitude i struggle with the concept of abundance because I agree with you that for me abundance along with that shift of like what is success uh, abundance isn't you know necessarily money or wealth however it is a factor because you know as we've talked about Maslow's hierarchy and all that you know and 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 with you know the student loan debt conversation we've had sometimes i it, it's really easy for me to get into the mindset of well my life would be so much better if not for this debt that keeps me working jobs i don't want to work right but Definitely. but when you're talking about the thing that you said just a second ago about sometimes it may even just be a well-lit room when you're trying to read a book. Uh, one of the things I do know that my mind always goes to whenever it's like really raining or snowing or extremely windy outside, my if it's happening while I'm going to bed at night, uh, if, when I'm laying in bed, if I hear like rain or high winds, and the ceiling is right above me, right? I always, my brain always says, I am so grateful that I have shelter. Like it's, it's the weirdest thing. I mean, I mean, I guess it's not really weird, but it's, it's 
interesting to me that, you know, at most of the time I struggle with gratitude and just being like, oh, hey, at least I have, you know, a home. Uh, it's in those moments that I realize like, oh my gosh, if I didn't have a roof. Um, there was <laughs> And that's a practice of like being present in the moment too, mm-hmm. which is a great practice for when you're having high anxiety or you feel out of control and crazy and chaotic. It's so helpful to just look around the room, find five things that you can see, hear, bleh, hear feel, smell, taste, and just sit with it. Mm-hmm. Another thing too, and this this was the other thing I wanted to mention. So I'm just going to, right off the bat, I um, I just want it known that I don't really know much about Headspace, like the Headspace app. I don't really know much about Andy Podicom. I think that's his name, the, the one of the founders of Headspace. But there was this great series on Netflix. Um, I think it was like How to Meditate the headspace how to meditate thing it was just this short little series a limited series of like here's you know here's some different meditation types like different meditation techniques and here are things that um you can do to accomplish that and here's the science behind it and all of that and uh going back to what we were talking about about like how i struggle with gratitude and uh understanding like where my where i have abundance in my life uh there was an episode on gratitude and so you know in the past i've heard people be like oh start a gratitude journal i even bought a gratitude journal and sometimes some of the questions really piss me off because (laughs) they make a lot of assumptions about what your life actually looks like um such as having children and and family it's very um yeah it's a very middle class kind of approach to gratitude journaling and i'm like yeah this this doesn't work for for a good chunk of people um but uh in that headspace series there was an episode on episode episode on gratitude um and in it he talks about you know it's i forget how he put it but essentially what he was saying was it's not necessarily about finding things in your life right now that you're currently grateful for but one technique is to remember a time where you felt grateful so then you access that memory of what it felt like to feel grateful and once you find that it becomes a lot easier just first of all to just refill feel those feelings through memory right but once you can access that then it becomes a lot easier to find things right now that you're grateful for because if you're in a state of mind where you're just like everything sucks it's it's really hard to access gratitude but if you're it is if you can remember what it felt like to feel grateful for something then you feel those feelings and then it becomes like you said like you soften you feel softer and then it's easier to start identifying things where you do feel grateful. So I don't know, maybe that might be helpful to someone who like me struggles with gratitude. Um, I found that very helpful, but yeah. And you know, you bring up 
more insight to it whereas mine is very much like about the body like returning to the body because if you don't have anything that you feel grateful for or hopeful for returning to the body is always the first step to being able to look out and maybe find a nugget of hope or happiness or remembering something that you know was kind towards you or was good for you at some point in your day because everybody's like oh well my day sucked because all all of these little terrible things happened but what about all the little good things can you name just one really good thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and if not like take a moment to return to your body and be like i am full i had food today i am grateful for that I'm grateful that I got to smell my food that I ate earlier. I'm grateful that I was able to taste the food and enjoy it in the way that I can with my senses. And then you just build off of that. And once you get some small little thing like the food or the water that you had, you can it's a snowball effect. You can keep going with that and building off of it. And it may seem really small and cheesy, but it retrains your brain. It retrains um, how you think and conceptualize of your day. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I don't think um, either of the two are mutually exclusive either. I think they're both extremely valuable tools such as oh yeah it's the same thing but you just go about it a different way yeah keep them both in your toolbox (laughs) yeah (laughs) because sometimes one will be more effective than the other you know oh yeah and sometimes you know i can't return to my body so what do i do i i create an instance where i feel things on my body that aren't necessarily there so what do i mean by that is grounding techniques with meditation. You know, I get to imagine what the soft Oregon grass under my feet used to feel like back when I used to walk barefoot, you know, or what the nasty mucky mud between my toes felt like. And that is such a very specific example of a sensation or experience that I had as a child that it brings me back immediately to my body. You know, another way, um, because I, I actually do struggle with um, when I'm in, a, in a, an extremely anxious space, I very much struggle with getting back into my body because, you know, everything feels too much. So that like that feeling of being overstimulated. And one thing that I have found that works very well um, for me is... I will literally shake myself. Like I will stand up and I will just like flail my arms and rock my body around and just kind of like really just shake myself, jump up and down. Dancing it out. Yes. Like, <laughs> I mean, people probably, if they look at that and I called it dancing, they, they'd probably be like, uh, <laughs> that looks more like you're having a hissy fit. But... <laughs> But shaking yourself really does, like, I, I, I know there's science for it, but, like, just doing that, first of all, it's a form of exercise in a way. Like you said, it's, it's basically dancing. Um, so, you know, it really, 
it really helps you like regulate your nervous system to a point where you can just kind of calm down and then it's a lot easier to to get back into your body um i i find if i'm in a really heightened state of anxiety if i do that if i try to do like you said like a like any sort of a meditative type work if that's not working for me like i'm just like oh my god i can't i just i can't my brain will not stop if i shake myself first that it's a whole lot easier to get to it. And you're gonna feel silly the first time you do it, um, like when you start doing it, but if you give yourself two minutes, just put two minutes on a timer and dedicate yourself to, you know what, I'm gonna get through this two minutes of feeling stupid and silly, I promise you it it's always worth it, always. There are so many things we feel so stupid and silly about when we shouldn't. <laughs> right? But there was something I saw that was like, do not kill the part of you that is cringe. Kill the part of you that cringes. And I was yes. like, yes. Yes. <laughs> we deny ourselves so much joy and success and abundance because we feel stupid and mm -hmm. silly. And you know what's even worse? Or I guess not worse, but just like absurd about it is like why for what reason do we feel stupid and i guarantee the answer is always well if somebody else saw me doing this or heard me saying this they would think i were stupid otherwise yes. like no one's here judging you if you're on your own like having your thoughts and your feelings and, and if and they are they aren't your people exactly exactly that that one is one of the hardest it um, is there is a part of me that afterward like i will in the moment i recognize my boundaries and uh if somebody is shaming me for who i am i will stand up for myself and do all that but after the fact i will feel very guilty and feel like i lost out mm -hmm. on a a relationship I should have for been fortifying or um, working harder to maintain and sometimes that could be true but the majority of the time I would say about 95% of the time that is not the case <laughs> like there is no reason to feel guilty if you have if you have found that there is someone in your life who is going to shame you or uh, one of my favorite um phrases uh if they are yucking your yum they i like that yeah you don't you don't need them in your life i promise <laughs> they are not for you you do not always have to say yes to everything because of mofo which is a fear of missing out <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I, <laughs> I don't want to FOMO. FOMO, MOFO, whatever. <laughs> I had a brain It's okay. injury. It, <laughs> Leave me alone. No, no, it, it's fine. I actually really loved it. I, I think I would rather call it MOFO. A MOFO. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my oh goodness. Um, so <laughs> bringing the conversation back, I want to point out that, you know, with this talk of returning to the body and dealing with the stress in the body um 
you get to choose to do that. That is a form of abundance and success for you um, in making your body feeling better. So again, not related to money, not related to wealth, but money and being rich or poor, your social standing, that is also a part of this. Um, so bringing it back to that, I want to point out that um, money is made up. It's not real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we get so stressed out over something that's not real. Yep. How fucked up is that? Yeah. So there, there are a few, a few points there, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, first of all, and first of all, like, I when I think about the fact that the whole thing is made up, like just the whole, if you really dig into how we determine the amount of money that's in circulation and who gets what and how much things cost and all of that, you realize just how like fake it all is. You're like, it's like math. We created it. It (laughs) didn't really exist until somebody made it up. Yeah. It's like this, none of this is real. Like, all of this is fake. Um, So there's that. And then there's the part where we live in a system that makes it feel real. And, in a way, makes it real because literal survival might depend on it, right? Mm -hmm. And it is so infuriating to me. (laughs) (laughs) I... The whole system. A lot of people can identify with that too. And pretty much everyone. And that's, and I think that's kind of what you're getting at here is that like we give it so much power, but also it has so much power. Yes. <laughs> and that's what where I think it's very difficult to untie those feelings. It's sad. It's sad. It is. So let's break it down. Yes, please. The exchange of money. for goods, for services, we didn't always have money. We used to exchange services with other services. You do this for me and I'll do that for you. You give me this many hens and I'll give you this many pigs, you know? And it was all arbitrary design. You know, there was no set value for the thing except how badly you needed the thing. And what you're willing to trade to get the thing. Mm -hmm. Which, if we break that down, is an exchange of energy. It's not always an exchange of things. It's an exchange of communication and understanding and connecting with another human being. To get your needs, desires, and wants met. And to meet their desires, wants, and needs that's all it is yeah in in practice i mean i i guess not practice what's the word um i don't want to say in theory because it you're it literally is yeah Um, so how does someone and uh uh, uh, asking for a friend um (laughs) How does someone reconcile the fact that we live in a world where our 
our survival and having our basic needs met is so tied up in receiving that exchange Mm -hmm. and at times means compromising who we are or what we want uh, to feel fulfilled or aka successful based on our own terms. Um, That's a great question. (laughs) That's a lovely little diddle there. Um, I don't know why I called it that. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so first of all, that requires you to have knowledge of your own self-worth, right? What are you worth versus what you are making? And sometimes, unfortunately, we have to sacrifice not so much our self-worth, but what we feel we should be making um, in order to make ends meet. But then people settle and they don't try to get out of that or they can't. And I can't really answer the question for the people who cannot get out of the situation that they're in. But for the people who settle, that's on them. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to do some self-work around that to get out of that spot because settling is just as bad as not doing anything. Yeah. Um, Time and time again, uh, for me, the answer comes down to, at least for my struggle, comes down to putting in the work. And sometimes, okay, most times, probably like, almost 100 percent of the time not not quite 100 percent, but pretty close um the work isn't always so clear to me like what what that work should be to get out of that hole now for me i don't necessarily think it's a settling issue. And I don't, I also don't believe it's a, I can't get out issue. Um, for me, it's a, I'm too deep in it to see, uh, the bigger picture. And I think for a good chunk of people, that's probably true. Um, Oh yeah, definitely. Like my, explanation is definitely not the only experience in that you know Mm -hmm. um if i were to settle being a cashier for the rest of my life i would hate myself oh yeah (laughs) i would hate the work i would hate the world my life would take a huge downturn Mm -hmm. um and for someone where that's all they know that's all they have Mm -hmm. that's all they can do you can understand why somebody is so frustrated mm-hmm. and why they have so many health problems, why they're so stressed out, um, you know, why it's so hard for them to do the thing that lights them up. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. I, I know I have things that light me up, but I get so drained from yes. the tedium of my life for what I have to do in order to, to you know, not not disappoint my partner and make sure that I'm contributing to the household in the way that I can. But I think my point was that not so much that your explanation didn't cover the the entire spectrum, but more that sometimes what feels like 
can't get out isn't so much can't get out, but that we don't know what options we have. Exactly. And I, I know that's me. Like, I, I have been in a space of, I can't get out, I can't get out, I can't get out. And at times, I really do feel that way. I can't get out. But ultimately, when I'm really honest with myself and I sit down, it's that, it's not that I can't, it's that I don't know. And I think that's mm -hmm. where being radically soft is important. Um, because here here's what I've i've learned through you know my 30 what how old am i now 36 35 i don't i don't know who cares it doesn't matter the 30s the mid 30s somewhere in there in that time period what i've learned is that when i take the time to experience things outside of my comfort zone like if i just have an inkling that hey i want to try a but a sounds scary a what if i'm not good at a what if it's harder than i'm anticipating it will be uh all that if i let that get in the way my world stays really small and i don't learn anything new but when you i settle uh-huh <laughs> but when i when i push myself outside of my comfort zone to try a because a sounded interesting I learned something new and I discover something new about myself that I didn't realize existed and new pathways open up. I randomly was like, uh, I really like graphic design. And I thought, oh, I could become a graphic designer. And I started going to college to do the graphic design stuff. And then that's when I ended up going to school for freaking visual effects. And that's how I've worked on movies and video games. And I gained that experience and I learned, oh, hey, this isn't for me. So then I got into technical writing, which basically is user manuals. And I realized, oh, I actually have a talent for writing and just all of that. And the, like, but my point is like, if I hadn't gone through all of that, I would have never started painting. I would have never started I, I would I would never release a book of poetry. <laughs> yeah. I would have at some point I guarantee I would have ended up throwing out my poems. Like Exactly. Like if if I had never been like, hmm, I wonder what that's like. I would have never expanded. All of that happened because I went outside my comfort zone and I was willing to be vulnerable. Exactly. You took a risk. You decided you weren't going to settle anymore. Sometimes what feels like I can't is actually you just don't know what your options are and you don't figure out what your options are without being willing to be vulnerable and get outside of your comfort zone and be soft and open. It's, it's not that you can't. It's that you get to choose if you won't mm -hmm. in a way. But to make it simple, I guess, just like when I said, you know, you settle or you don't settle. It's a very simple way of talking about it. But as you pointed out, it gets very intricate and very confusing and confounding, even within a person um, and the events that happen in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it all comes down to 
whether you will or you won't. Are you willing to do it or are you not? And then you get to decide whether or not you settle or you don't. You get to say yes or you get to say no. You can say, no, that's not for me. I'm okay with where I am right now. It sucks, but it serves this purpose for me and I'm going to ride that out for now. And then the next opportunity will come along and you get to make the same decision. The words, the way we are describing it makes it very simple and life is not simple. Mm -mm. Getting around obstacles in life, comparisonitis, um, dealing with your financial situation, it's not easy. It's not a slice of cake. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you talk about it, it sounds so much easier and prettier than it actually is. Oh, for sure. I know there there have been many times where I've talked to someone about something going on in my life and we've been able to break it down to its simplest parts. And I'm like, oh, it's so fucking simple. How did yes. I not realize that? And then I go back to life, like back to reality. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is not linear. I nope. does not very go linear at all. <laughs> God damn it, life. Yeah. But that's the whole point of this podcast episode is to do a little bit of mind shifting around the way we think of things mm-hmm. and breaking it down to its most simplest form. So it's like, huh, I never thought of it that way. Maybe I can apply that to this mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. and this. Mm-hmm. And one other point is that nothing is too small. I We're too big. I, <laughs> absolutely never too big. Um, in college, I did a student paper research for the very first time. I'd never done anything like this before, and I was constantly up the instructor's butt about it. I was like, well, should I do this? Should I do that? And she's like, you are overthinking it. You are trying to, like... <laughs> dot all the t's and cross all the i's which doesn't make sense you need to relax i was like no but i gotta do it perfect i've never done this before i want to get a good grade and i was freaking out um but i did it i did it exactly like the book because that's the only thing i had as a reference on how to do this stupid thing (laughs) and um afterwards she came to me and she's like, your paper would do really well as part of the student research award. And I was like, well, I know you had mentioned that, but I just figured, you know, mine was shit. So what's the point? She's like, no, you did really freaking well. Go submit it after you edit some of these things and get it in there. Mm-hmm. And I won the award. Hell yeah. Who would have thought? The first time I had ever written a paper or done anything like that, I won an award. And then after that, she asked me if I would be willing to be a part of the student research day, which in normal days, this was right before COVID too, um, you would stand around in a lobby area in some part of the university. People would give talks about their dissertations and the research that they did and the awards that they won and blah, blah, blah. And people would stand around with their posters and talk to other professionals. There'd be like wine and fancy food. 
they didn't do it that year. Um, but I still stood around like my poster and a bunch of other students did that as well. They didn't do like the big talks kind of thing. Yeah, it was a bit of a letdown. But after I did that, um, she asked me if she could use my paper in her book. And then also suggested that I submit my poster that I gave a talk about to the university to have in their records as part of the student day research and part of the award winning of that year. That is so, so awesome. If she had not come to me and said that, I would not have done that. I would have never done any of that stuff. That is so freaking cool. And I had no idea. I had no idea. I, I'm, I, I love that for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I want to know more about this, 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 this book and, and all of that. We could talk about that. We could talk about that offline or if you want to talk about it here, that'd be great. But yeah, I definitely want to know more about that because that is really cool. I, oh, I'm sure we will you. discuss the research that I did at some point. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So with the research paper thing, I, I, I love that experience for you. Um, and I really want to hear more about it as, as I mentioned, but also, uh, you know, we were going to talk about the, the feelings of envy other people experience when they see someone succeeding or what they perceive as succeeding. And not necessarily that I'm jealous of your research paper, but like, you know, when you describe something like that, one, I love it for you because like, oh my gosh, I would love that for me. Like there's that feeling of, um, in a way, I suppose that's empathy, right? Where it's like, oh, if that were me, that would feel so good. But there's the other side of that, right? Where it's like, you see someone else succeeding and you think, oh, if I had that for me, it would be so good. Ugh. That other person has it and I want it. Yes. Sorry, Vivi is making noise. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. Yeah, no, I totally understand. Like, when you released your book, I was like, oh, shit. I should be doing something like that. Fuck. You know? And you could. You I could. could. And that goes to our next topic where... Everyone struggles with envy of somebody else, and that's totally natural. But what isn't okay is when we beat ourselves up or we bring the other person down Yeah, I because think, of that. Yeah, I, I think that also kind of goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of the podcast with the, the thing with the comparisonitis where we either look up and go, oh my god, that could be me, or we look down and we go oh, well, I would never do that. In a way, Definitely. in a way, there's a sense of both of it happening at the same time when we get to envy, right? Definitely. Where, where it's like, we're looking up and going, oh my God, that could be me. I could never do that. Or, eh. But also we try to find ways to knock the other person down so that we can punch downward and go, oh yeah, no, they didn't do it right or no it's not as great as it seems because of a b or c so we try to diminish their accomplishments um to Definitely, make ourselves yeah. feel better 
that somebody can somebody else can be amazing and talented and beautiful and smart or intelligent and it's not a finite resource that only so many people get <laughs> right like no yeah i mean like, it's like almost it's, the same thing as like hey i have a celebrity crush on so and so you know for various reasons and that doesn't mean whatever partner person that I'm with or currently seeing is any less because mm -hmm. I find this other person attractive in mm -hmm. whatever way. It doesn't mean I'm going to go leave them. That person can go take up space while also my partner is taking up space mm -hmm. in my life. Absolutely. It's the same thing. Like, you don't have to knock somebody down for their accomplishments or for just being. And we tend to do that when we have small space mindset is what I want to call it. Well, and I also think part of it, and this kind of goes back to the money talk, um, some of this comes up because of the way our economic system is set up is that scarcity scarcity drives uh value so when we say that so-and-so is talented or so-and-so is intelligent um that has value right that has a high value on it because it's like oh i want to be intelligent and if i were intelligent then i would have a b or c and when you think of it that way as having value, then it puts this scarcity mindset on it that, that oh, only, like, for example, only 50 people could be intelligent, right? <laughs> so if I am not in the top 50, then I am not intelligent. And that 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 is part of that whole envy thing. But it's like, no, someone else can be intelligent but you could also be intelligent. Just because someone else is intelligent doesn't mean that diminishes your value as an intelligent person. Um, and I think that's actually kind of part of where when I talked about uh, my existential reckoning with success came down to, you know what? It looks different for everybody. It's not that so-and-so is more intelligent than me. They are differently intelligent than me <laughs> they think about things differently than i do and i think that's part of that mind shift right is understanding that it's not about better or worse it's about different exactly like i <laughs> i was a very jealous envious child and i recognize that because part of me like you know, I wanted to be the pretty princess and I was never told that I was the pretty princess or mm -hmm. anything else. So when, you know, said school crush goes and says my best friend is whatever, I'm going to get pissed mm -hmm. because I'm not because they are and there's no space for me to be this thing too. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that comes from small space mindset. Um, I didn't have healthy self-worth back then as a child. So that's where that envy and jealousy came from was small space. I was playing small with myself. Um, and 
it took a lot of work to get out of that. You know, somebody can be beautiful, intelligent, talented, but so can I. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think part of that also comes from the fact that maybe, again, (laughs) going back to the first episode, we're not describing our needs and our wants in a truthful way to other people. Like, I want to be called pretty. I Mm want to be called smart. I want my partner to appreciate those things in me because I value them. Mm-hmm. I sure as hope that they would too in me. Um, and, you know, everybody wants to be physically attractive. That's just a thing we all have. So by not playing small and discussing those things, or getting those needs met is really important. It comes back to that whole aspect of needing to be seen, wanting to be seen and heard and valued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I think about that, <laughs> it's funny. Sorry, I, I kind of got deep into my brain here <laughs> as you were saying that. I was like, what is my thing like is it that i want to be physically beautiful like like i mean we all like you said we all want to be physically attractive in some form at least to our partners or to ourselves right um but at it you know there there there's um like a a list of priorities right like what is at the highest priority for me and I'm realizing that my highest priority is, uh, <laughs> this kind of goes, you and I talked about this briefly. Uh, do you remember, uh, that Enneagram thing I told you about? Yes. Did you ever take it? I don't think I did. <laughs> I got God. lost in the sea of things. <laughs> uh, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's honestly, like, it's, it's not a big deal. Um. But it's funny because, like, I'm sitting here and I'm like, yeah, what is high priority for me? And then I realized, oh, oh, yeah, that is high priority. When I realized what was high priority for me, that's when I realized, oh, wait, yeah. And it's kind of like, am I, am I, am I stereotype? Like, am I stereotyping myself? But so for anyone who knows what the Enneagram is... Uh, I am an Enneagram 4, which um, basically means <laughs> that my uh, motivation and strongest need is to be perceived as unique. <laughs> so for me, what holds the most value is somebody recognizing that my thought process and my approach and my contributions are all um different like it's unique to what anyone else could be contributing and the value and that there is value in that uniqueness um (laughs) and when i don't feel like that's valued i get sad and jealous and angry (laughs) and i think everybody can identify with that in some point whatever aspect in their life like 
you want to be told pretty soft things. You want to be told things from your partner or whoever that makes you feel special. Like, and you don't want them to be lies. You don't want them to be fake. You want it to be relevant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's just like the same gesture as like some people like to get flowers. I don't like receiving dead flowers because I'm just going to have to toss them out. <laughs> I understand the gesture and I really appreciate it. And I'm sure I'll find something to do with the flowers. But, you know, like even getting a live plant would mean a lot to me. Oh, my God. So. Yeah. Uh, a friend, I can't remember. I think it may have been Christmas. I don't remember. Anyway. They they gave us a uh, a plant. <laughs> I have no idea if that plant is alive still. Oh no! <laughs> because my husband is the one who waters the plants. Um, because I cannot keep up with that. I want I want as a person who loves nature. I love plants. I love animals. I love the natural world. But artificially keeping a plant alive in my home is very complicated to me. Like, I am content to let my yard grow wild because that is what the natural world wants to do. <laughs> like, I want the world to do what it wants to do in my yard. I don't want to, I don't want to force it to do what it doesn't want to do. So that's me and my feral, my feralness. But um, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Like, receiving flowers or plants. Anyway, that was my tangent. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whoops. There there will it eventually happens. there will eventually be a whole episode about how I go on tangents. Um I I feel for the past two episodes we recorded, I was very good about not doing this. You've been very good. Yes. We I also took notes. <laughs> I think you need to start taking notes yeah, before need. every episode yeah. again. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but yeah, we like pretty things being said to us, being given to us. Um, and that takes us out of our small mindset. So we're not getting those needs met. We're more likely to play small space brain. Mm -hmm. We will go into our shell like a crab to protect ourselves and then occasionally reach out and like snip somebody with our claw mm -hmm. and that is where the jealousy and envy will come from is when we're not being seen or allowed to take space and being valued <laughs> like how is anybody supposed to thrive in that kind of situation. Yeah. You're going to revert to your basic self, which basic bitch ain't pretty. <laughs> Survival I, basic bitch ain't pretty. I, I was just, I, I, I'm glad you went there because I was going to say basic bitch for me, I, I know basic bitch, they use it to be like, oh yeah, you just follow all the basic shit, but like. Oh, you're boring. Yeah. But for me, basic bitch would be, I'm going to revert to what my instincts tell me to do based on all of the bullshit that surrounds me that forces me to be um, fight or flight. Exactly. 
survival mode. Mm-hmm. Because of because we're not fighting saber toothed tigers or any of that shit, what fight or flight looks like for the modern anybody is going to be very petty. <laughs> it's just going to be petty. I wouldn't even say petty. It's just like you're not going to have as much patience. You're not going to have as much understanding or kindness or empathy for anybody because you literally cannot hold that for someone else mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you are hurting within. You need your needs met and only the very basic ones are. Yeah. I don't know. I think that wraps everything up we wanted to talk about today. I agree. I think this was good. This was very good. Um, it took us places we weren't, you know, prepared for. <laughs> Such... <laughs> God damn it. Okay. Um. Yeah. Well. Alright. Well, I guess that's that wraps up this episode of the Radical Softness Podcast. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out with us, for listening to us. Um, I'm sorry I'm the way that I am, but also I'm not sorry. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for being here. Uh, yeah. Don't be a mofo. <laughs> don't me. Don't be a mofo with FOMO. Yes. <laughs> Seriously, that is one of my favorite moments from this point on. (laughs) All right. Do you have any parting words? I think that was it. All right, babies. We will see you next time. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Radical Softness Podcast. We are your hosts, Venera and Ruinous Rapture, and we hope that you got something valuable from today's episode. If you enjoyed this podcast or the episode, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us at the handle RadSoftPod. You can also join our Discord for more discussions about today's episode, earlier and later content. A link to the Discord server can be found by going to radsoftpod.com and clicking the Join Our Discord link. For questions or business inquiries, you can reach out to us at radsoftpod at gmail.com or use the contact form on our website. We really couldn't do this without you. Be well, and we hope to see you next time.